Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at four verses today, verses 1 to 4 anyway. Uh, I'm going to read the text for you. We're going to begin actually in verse 10, the last verse of uh, chapter 3. And because uh, its context is kind of important. So read with me, and then we'll dive in for today. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I have my notes here to pray again. Let's do that. Father, yeah, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your last words in this text today. Thank you for your gracious, merciful, compassionate love for Jonah, despite his actions and words here. I pray that you would just teach us and guide us today, Holy Spirit. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Your message title for today is, Why We Are Angry. Hope to see three things from this text today. Number one, the object of anger. Number two, the result of anger. And number three, dear Lord, thank you, the antidote to anger. So again, I love asking questions just to get our minds focused on these things. But let me ask you this. Can you remember a time in your life where you witnessed uncontrolled anger? Sorry, if you have. Some of us have witnessed that numerous occasions. Um, Let's follow up with that. Uh, Can any of you remember a time when you yourself completely lost it? Some of you are asking the question, Pastor, is this rhetorical? (laughs) Right? I hope you can think that way. Or how about that other, yes, less obvious form of anger found in those who appear oftentimes to be so meek so mild and so loving, sort of don't say anything. Something called passive-aggressive anger. Each has its own way of manifesting, but they are both still anger, whether they are explosive or passive. A few nights ago, Janice and I, we, you know, we're looking around because we're like the rest of you on Netflix going, okay, what's watch? What else is there? And then we, we have some other sources and we looked around and we found this uh, documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Four Hours at the Capitol, hmm. Washington, D.C., about the insurrection of the U.S. Capitol a few years ago on the day that former president, you know who, allegedly hmm, uh, incited his followers to disrupt the certification of Joe Biden's victory. I have to say, I don't like things very often. I don't think that's a good idea from the pulpit. I honestly don't. So you're never going to hear me tell you how you should vote. 
ever. Uh, but I got to tell you, I, I'm still a bit in shock. We only, we only could watch until an hour and 20 minutes. I think it's a two hours or more documentary. It was just shocking. It, it was, I've never seen anything like that honestly in my life. It was filmed by a series of people, which is, I said to my wife, I said, is, is, that, is that person going to prison? <laughs> is that going? I mean, the people who were participating in the riot, the break-in, were actually filming it on their phones, right? And there were also a number of, you know, non-mainstream journalists who were following in with them to capture this. So this is real life footage. What I could not get over, and what I remember to this moment, is the anger. I, 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 the anger was just unbelievable. The literal hatred on the faces of, of those perpetrating this act, but also the fear in the faces of the Capitol Police and the others. I mean, the, the, the juxtaposition was, was shocking. It was, it was incredible. It was both frightening and honestly, it was shameful. Uh, not a stellar day for democracy or America. Obviously, some people would disagree with me. My point is this, anger was on display in a way that I've never seen it before. Regardless of your convictions, and that is this, this is never a sign that your point of view is more valid than anyone else's. Like I've been saying about Jonah for a few weeks now, let's not throw those who participated in this under the bus too quickly. Right? America, Canada, the world is extremely divided. And people on either side of that divide can get very angry. I guarantee you there are people who would watch that. I struggled with it when I was watching that. Not myself to get angry at them. So let's be careful. Their actions, of course, should not be tolerated. However, let's remember the words of Jesus. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22, I'll have verse 22 on screen for you in a second, or we will. You have heard that it was said to those of old, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You can determine for yourself how serious these words are. I would suggest he's being serious. In fact, anger is a very serious issue with Jesus, with God. It clearly is. It's the heart, the root of all injustice, and evil in our world today. It's how we get there. We're all not only capable of it, we all have a problem with anger. Anybody willing to confess that? <laughs> Thank you, sister from Cape Breton. I appreciate that. Well, the lessons we see here in Jonah are universal. I want to suggest to you, suggest to you this morning. Okay? They're universal. So let's, let's bear with it. Let's hear from the Lord on this and see what he has to say. Earlier, we read the last verse of chapter 3, which told us that when the Lord God saw what they did, what the people of Nineveh did, that they actually repented, at least to a point, 
as we will see next week, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Well, I remember last Sunday saying that basically at the end of chapter 3, we could have just said at that point, mission accomplished. (laughs) Story's over. And I don't know who it was, but someone said to me afterwards, or maybe during the week at a community group, I can't remember where it was, but someone said, yeah, that's why in Sunday school classes, the Jonah story usually ends at the end of chapter 3. But there is a chapter 4. And so that's interesting. And so what the Lord God had wanted to see happen, what he had called Jonah to go and preach, had in fact happened. It's awesome. But then there's this chapter, and, and, and you have to wonder, what, why? What, what, what's going on here? Well, it's significant. It's significant. And, and again, Janice and I, in our devotions this week, we've been reading through this great devotional that we like to use, and we're reading about the story of Jacob and Laban, his daughters, uh, Rachel and Leah. It's an amazing story. It's an interesting story, right? Um, but what, what, what the commentary part of the devotional said was something along the lines of, have you ever noticed that you're not going to find in the Bible the story of the perfect marriage? Right? Marriage conference, uh, November 12th, 14th. You're, you're not going to find those stories in there. You're not going to find stories about perfect people, perfect leaders. Per- perfect people, well, excuse me, except Christ, right? You're not going to find it there. What you find in every book of the Bible are stories about imperfect, broken, messed up people who need a savior. This is, this is why we have this, this wonderful, beautiful book. And Jonah, of course, is no exception. So let's have a look at Jonah's response here in the text that we've already read, and in doing that, learn in a deeper way who we are, all of us, and how we can learn from this and grow in our faith in Christ, be sanctified in this life today. So number one, the object of anger. The verse uh, one, we see this in response to what God saw that was awesome and was good. Jonah says, pardon me, the word tells us, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. (laughs) Immediately following what should have been said, mission accomplished, we read these words. And, And of course, I hope you see the words that are highlighted in this text. First, we see that Jonah is displeased. It's, that's okay, actually. I mean, we can be a little bit displeased because we're a little bit confused. It basically means we're, we're not happy. You know, we're not completely happy with this situation. And there could be reasons for that. But, that, but then it goes on to say that exceedingly... Oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> this is escalating. And then we find out, no, he, he's just full-on angry. And so I hope you can see in the simple tasks, there's a progression that happens here. It's, 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 a, it's a progression. First, you're not happy about something that, that's going on in your life or what's, what's been happening or what God has done or not done. And, and then you start to get really actually, you know, the more you think about it, you're driving around, you only go a couple of blocks and you're starting to get quite riled up about this situation because, you know, you're thinking about it. And then before you know it, you are full-on irate and honking at the guy in front of you. You're just angry. It can literally happen, by the way, that fast. Like, okay, I'm confessing here. I'll get to it in the end. I'll tell you one of my quick stories recently. 
So the question at this point has to be, who's he angry at? Is he angry at the Ninevites? Is he angry at that fish? <laughs> who's he angry at? Well, I mean, obviously with Jonah, it's rather obvious. In the first part of verse 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. So I find this almost humorous in one sense, if it wasn't so sad, obviously, right? It's sad for certain since he's now feeling, look, he's feeling like he's justified before the Lord God, right? That, and, and, and he's trying to justify himself before God as to why he is angry. And when I say justified, it's because, listen, he's not taking ownership for his anger one little bit. Not at all. I, it's not my fault I'm angry. No, he's justifying himself by pointing the finger at the Lord God. So look how, how he puts it. And I'm going to paraphrase sort of what, what I sort of see going on here. It's like he's saying this, is this not what I told you would happen? <laughs> when you called me to go to these people, is this not what I told you would happen when you first came to me and told me to go to Nineveh? But listen, wait. Go back to chapter 1, reread it a few times. I did. I don't remember hearing this conversation. Now, you know, some commentators suggest that, well, maybe it's implied, but, but, but others say, no, 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 no. What, what, what Jonah meant to say in saying it the way he said is, I told you what I thought of what you asked me to do by saying, no, I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to Maui. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to disobey you. And by the way, I'll let my actions, my walk, do my talking. That's what he did. So it's very interesting. And why? Because what God wanted, what God actually wanted, and you know what he wanted, right? He wanted not to have to pour out his wrath on the people of Nineveh. Their evil was great. Justice has to be taken care of. Slow to anger. And so we see very clearly here who Jonah, Jonah is blaming for his anger. He's blaming the Lord God. The object of his anger is not really the evil Ninevites or anyone else, the sailors on the ship. No, it is the Lord God. So, so let's bring this home. This will be the fun part of the sermon, okay? So buckle up. <clears throat> let's bring this home. As the sermon, the sermon title pardon me, says, it, 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 it's just a declaration why we are angry. Now, now I, I could have put that, and I did originally when I put up my sermon notes, I said, why are we angry? I asked the question. No, no, this is a statement. And it's about why we are, in fact, angry. Well, as I was researching the subject, I came across some really good commentary notes and so forth, but most importantly, I came across an amazingly good biblical counseling article on the subject. And let me suggest to you that when it comes to anger, many of us might need counseling. We might. So for starters, we need to reflect on the world that we live in and for the most part, have all grown up in. And we've been over this before as a church. We get into these kind of things about philosophy and the Enlightenment, yada, yada. It's important because you know, we're in this slowly warming pot of soup or whatever it is, and we're all impacted by it. So it's important for us to know these things. And so although we're not American per se, right, here in Canada... 
we too have been greatly influenced by the philosophies uh, that have, were born in the 1600s uh, to 1800s. The Enlightenment greatly influenced our perspective in many ways, but especially related to the you, the individual, the me, the self. Most of you uh, know these famous words from the U.S. Declaration of Independence pretty well, I think. It is these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where do I sign? It's, well, it's motivated a country to become a great country. A really great country in many, many ways. But I want to suggest to you it really doesn't matter today where you live in, quote, Western culture. You and I have been influenced by this philosophy a lot. We really have. So much so that we actually believe the words in this declaration are biblical. They're not endowed by the creator. Well, let's bring him in. You can do a little bit of history study, if you'd like, on who the French philosophers were who had a great impact on the founding fathers of the United States of America and this declaration, if you want. This rights issue is really, really interesting. And that's the key here. The key that comes out of this declaration that I have, and I'm sure you, most of you have, is, is we believed that we have rights. So from the counseling article, I, I want to quote this. Because we live in a society that screams constantly about rights, when our perceived rights are violated, we become angry. Women champion their right to choose. Members of the LGBTQ community demand their right to marriage. Children claim a right to privacy. My kids never did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, employees claim rights. Please hear me. People should be treated fairly and loved and cared for, yes. But we're talking about this issue of rights. So here are a few rights that I want you to hear and then ask yourself, and these were in this article. Uh, is it true that you have this right? Think about it. Christian, biblically. The right to have and express your personal opinions. The right to be respected. To be understood. The right to good health. The right to belong, to be loved, to be accepted. The right to make your own decisions. To determine your own future. To have fun on sunny days. The few that there are in October and November. The right to be free from difficulties and problems. To be free at all. Isn't freedom our right? I'm talking culturally in this world in particular. So before I answer the question about rights biblically, let me suggest that if you're a normal citizen of the world and culture that we live in, in what I term Western culture, your bottom line answer is, yes, of course we have these rights. Like most of us, if we were just having this conversation and it wasn't part of a sermon, we'd be going, <laughs> yes, of course. God wants these things for me. Mm. 
Okay? So more on that in a bit, but let's look at how Jonah's justifying himself before God first. The last part of verse 2, he says, Look at God, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, it's a bad idea to ever play God, but I just have to imagine at that point God's going, oh, okay, slow to anger. I've got to remind myself, I'm slow to anger here. I find it, uh, yeah, yeah, it's also funny. It's certainly crazy when you think about it. He, he's now feeling like he needs to justify himself. But here's what I want you to see. That word in the Hebrew specifically is in the, it's in the past tense. I knew. So when you called me to go to the people of Nineveh and, and to you know, tell them that if, if they don't repent, you're going to you know, basically obliterate them, which I think is a good idea, um, I, I knew past tense. Something's happened with Jonah. At this point, he, he no longer has that kind of relationship. I want to suggest to you. Something's happened. I don't know, you know, like I said, maybe in the first or second message in the series, maybe it's that he's, you know, he's been prophesying to his own people, the, the messages that God's given to them about their unfaithfulness, and, and look, come on, guys, we've got to stop sinning, we've got, we got to be the people of Israel, we've got to be, who, and they, 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 they're good for like 90 days, and then boom, they're back into it. And he's just getting, just getting tired of all this. And, and actually, maybe with his own people, he's thinking, God, you're too slow. <laughs> Do something, would you? I don't know. But there seems to be a change in here. So what happened? What has actually happened? Well, for Jonah, a few things, but two uh, would be what we've already discussed. It's quite likely that God did not give him what he felt he deserved. Maybe, I said it jokingly before, maybe he felt like, why am I a minor prophet? Why are you always giving me these little tiny details to tell the people? Why, what about Isaiah? What's going on here? Why? Am, I don't know what it was, but something related to what God was not giving him, uh, what he deserved, but instead he was, he was giving his grace and mercy and love to those people? So at the end of the day, listen, you know what that is, right? It's pride. The primary sins lie, sin pardon me, behind all of our anger is pride. And of course, this one really hurts. So much has been made by theologians and commentators about Jonah's nationalistic and uh, racial pride uh, that's on display in this book as being actually his biggest problem. And uh, I, I, again, read one commentator who's an American pastor who has said that oftentimes when he preached this in America, you know, people would, and, and, they, and, and he would call out Jonah for his nationalistic pride, you know, people would come up afterwards and go, well, you know, I, I still think it's good to be patriotic, <laughs> to be a patriot. And, and, and so listen, I mean, but that's not what this is talking about. Of course it is. To be, to be proud of your country and your home, you know, where you were born and, and, and your place of being, of course it is. And, and to be uh, patriotic to the point that you would defend. Yes, that's not what this is talking about. I, instead, this, what is being said here and is true is that if, listen, if your love of your country, if your love of your home, your way of governing over other countries and their welfare in flourishing, then that's wrong. 
It's not too hard to go from being patriotic to being something else, right? What happens is, at the end of the day, you end up making an idol of your country, of your home, of your way of life. However, that, and as I hope you're beginning to fully see now, was not Jonah's problem, or biggest problem. Anger was. And it was the object of his anger that was his problem, and it is ours too. One more time. The object of Jonah's anger is the Lord God, ultimately. Number two, the result of anger. Verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <clears throat> like, I, I, again, I said this last week, I think he's back, on the, he's back on the boat. He's like, throw me in the ocean, let me die. <laughs> so there are two things I want to share with you from this verse, uh, maybe three. I mean, first, let's be honest, let's, let's just note how distraught this man is. He's distraught. He's really, really down. He's essentially giving up on life. He, he sees no silver lining or, or hope any longer. What is that? What would you call that? Depression? Yeah. This man is depressed. And, and most often, please hear me, the experts would say this, that is a result of anger. It's a result of anger. Secondly, we look at the words that I've highlighted, it becomes clear that another result, cause as well, is that Jonah is almost completely fixated on whom? Me. <laughs> My life. He's selfish. Don't throw him under the bus. But he is. This is another cause and effect of anger, which is selfishness. But finally, this is the result of, and best understood, I feel... Uh, from a quote that I've often used uh, from Pastor Timothy Keller about idols in our lives, one of which can be what we talked about earlier, our rights. I'll put it on screen. We'll have it on screen for you. He said this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Such wise words. So in the end, the result of anger, at least in Jonah's case, is death. It's death. He would rather die than have the Lord God show his mercy and his grace and his love to those people Jonah deems below him, unworthy of God's grace. They didn't earn it. They don't deserve it at all. Which also speaks to the truth that Jonah's angry with God, but also not giving him what he wants, for, for not giving him, pardon me, what he wants out of life. And that, my, that, my friends, I want to suggest to you is why we become angry, why we worry, why we feel stressed and anxious much of the time. Much of the problem of all these things that lead to depression is wrapped up in wanting to not just control others, control God. And anger at being unable to do so. Again, I go back to that hospital room last Tuesday. My brother, my friend, 
when I asked him, how can I pray for you before I left? He goes, I want to go home. He wasn't angry. And he wasn't giving up. He just wanted to go to be with his Lord and Savior. This is why we become angry, as I said. God's will often violates our perceived rights. When he makes decisions you and I don't like, we become angry. We internalize that anger, becoming full of self-pity. Hey, look at okay? I've got the t-shirt. Because God is not doing things our way. And, and listen, angry people, I'm quoting this from this article again, do not understand the sovereignty of God. Or if they do understand it, they just don't want to accept it. There's a lot to grow in and learn here, isn't there? So believing that you and I can override the sovereignty of God, listen, it's not only delusional, it leads to anger, bitterness, and eventually feelings of depression. In fact, as one author I read, he put it this way, depression is anger turned inward. When we become angry and don't regret it or address it biblically, depression is the result. I'm speaking these things not just because I've read a biblical article from counselors on this. I've been there. When I turned 40 around that time, some of you know my story in the business world. I was depressed and needed help. The typical angry response comes from something you wanted and didn't get or you're angry about something you got and didn't want But in both cases, you have never dealt with the anger biblically. So let's return to some of those rights I talked about earlier. Let's return to those so that we can see how they may result in anger and eventually depression. As I reread them, some of them, think about it this way. Think about, okay, who who am I expecting my rights with or against? Is Is it another person, persons, an organization, or... So let's go back to this one. The right to have and express our personal opinions. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for social media. I just had to get it in somewhere. Really? It's a right. But this involves, listen, it, it involves, in general, another human being who you're having a discussion with or an organization. It's either like, like, dislike, thumbs up, thumbs down. In in our culture today, are we not being encouraged to be people who have our own personal opinions on almost everything? Hmm. So think of it this way. Despite the fact that we are certainly encouraged to have our opinion on just about every subject, we not only don't have to have an opinion on everything, speaking to myself here, okay, we don't. But the reality is sometimes our opinions are either not helpful or just flat out wrong. But I have my right, right? Oh man, it's no wonder we're in so much trouble. How about the right to be respected? Well, that's related to other people, right? Uh, How about the right to be understood? Again, that's other people. The, the, The right to good health. Hold on. That could be God, right? The right to belong, to be loved, to be accepted. Other people? To make your own decisions? To determine your own future? Who could be involved in that? That is the result of anger. 
It's sin. And it kills us. Number three, the antidote to anger. Verse four, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? And he could have said, with me? I hope you can see it's such a good thing um, that you and I are not God. Because I don't know about you guys, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> if one of my three boys growing up uh, uh, had behaved this way, so selfishly and uncharitably towards others and ultimately towards me and my authority over them, right? I don't know if I would be this gracious, merciful, and compassionate or slow to anger. Rather than pour out his righteous anger on Jonah, what does God do? Well, he pours out his mercy, grace, and love by asking this beautiful, disarming question. And he's going to do it next week a couple of times, as we'll see in closing in this. So read these words maybe this way. Jonah, honestly, is this working for you? Is this attitude, this heart that you have, is this actually working for you? Is your anger towards me and my best for these people? And for you, by the way, making you happy? Apparently not. So as we will see next week, like the older son in the parable of the prodigal, remember how I told you in the beginning, this book, four chapters, the first two resembled the younger brother, the last two, the older brother. We'll see that even more next week. God pursues and entreats the older brother in that parable, doesn't he? It's exactly what he's doing with Jonah. He entreats him. So time for the answer. Christian, we don't actually have any rights. The sooner that we in Christ, if you're not in Christ, if you're listening or watching online and you just heard that and you think, okay, time to shut this off. (laughs) This guy has lost his mind. I understand. I used to think that way. But, But the sooner we can come to that realization, actually, the freer we will become. The freer you will become. We have no rights, at least not in the Declaration of Independence sense of rights. An honest and fair reading, you can do this for homework, of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48, tell us that we don't have the right to retaliate. An eye for an eye, right? We don't have the right to retaliate. We're to turn the other cheek, in fact. Don't return evil for evil, we're told. We do not have the right to material things, Jesus said. We're to, we're to give away our tunic if someone asks for it. We do not have the right to our own time. We're to go to the extra mile for others. We do not have the right to our money. We're to give those who beg from us and borrow from us and can't pay us back. Read it for yourself. It's Jesus. And here's a big one. We are to love our enemies. What rights do I have? Well, in Christ Jesus, I, I, I have a lot of rights. I have freedom. You have freedom in Christ. Paul says in Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. I wonder where he got this idea. 
but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He'll deal with it. I don't have to reply to that post. We have no rights. Instead, all of our relationships and all of our possessions, we, we hold in trust from the Lord, which means the obedient thing for you and I to do with all of those things is to do what Jesus did, is to use them for the sake and the benefit of others. So in conclusion, ultimately this morning, let me encourage you that the key antidote to anger that we, is that we all need to repent of our anger, which is toward God, is to humbly turn to him whenever you feel that anger, anger welling up with you and in you and turn to him and, and hear him going, is it working for you to be angry like this? Are, are you not ultimately angry at me? And repent and say, yeah, that's where it's headed. Please forgive me and let it go. Let it go. Secondly, obviously, we need to renew our minds every day. We need to put in good thoughts, the, the, the thoughts of the Lord, the, the Scots of Scripture, easy for me to say, of Scripture. Renew your mind by studying what Scripture says regarding anger and consider the biblical man, commands we are given regarding it. For example, I love this translation, by the way. It's a new living translation. It, it, we usually use the ESV, but look at this. It says in Ephesians 4.26, don't sin by letting anger get, gain control over you. How do you do that? Well, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. I, I've told people in marriage conference type things uh, that Janice and I made this deal many, many years ago that we would practice this. We would not let the sun go down on our anger towards each other. Has it been perfect? No. But we're married on December 13th, 43 years. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Janice. Deal with it. Put it away. Also this, number three. Remember when Jonah said he knew what the Lord was like? He said this, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We hear that, but I also want you to hear the words of James, the stepbrother of Jesus, when he said this, and it was his encouragement for you and I to be like Jesus. When he said, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I like the slow to speak part first because he's kind of talking about taming that tongue or those fingers to post. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We are, with the Spirit's help, to display righteous anger, which is to be angry at what makes God angry. <laughs> a little illustration to leave you with. I, uh, we have chickens, for those of you who didn't know. It's my wife. I love her. So I, I love having eggs. Like every morning I have two sunny side up eggs. I really love cooking my eggs. So like we have coffee, we have our devotions. Then I go cook my eggs. And, and, and so like I, I've got this nonstick pan. It's awesome. It's really a simple process. I love it. But you know, this happens quite frequently. And, and so I crack the first one, boom, beautiful yolk. It's awesome, right? And then for some reason, every once in a while, I, I crack the second egg and I put it and the yolk breaks. And about a week and a half ago, this not happened just a week and a half ago, but it happens every once in a while, I go, darn it. No. 
So as I'm praying about and thinking about these kind of things over the last couple of weeks, all of a sudden, this week and a half ago, episode happened, and I just went, oh, okay, hold on, hang on. <laughs> this is the providence and the sovereignty of God. Glenn, you're a preacher. You know? And I just was like, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. I like, that sounds, is that silly? No. It's not for me. It, it, it's, that just was a little reminder for me that can that, that's the beginning of my day. It's a yoke. Still tasted great. Let me encourage you this week. Let me encourage you. As you go this week, look for those broken yoke moments. Okay? Nip it. Pray. Let's pray.